What's up and welcome to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look what's going on in pop culture. I am Pat Sheehan. Look what you made him do. It's Dave Martinson. I will not hear it. <laughs> Man, it, I mean, it's been quite a week. We had Game of Thrones finale, Conor McGregor fight, Taylor Swift dropping bombs, and a solar eclipse. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't think of that. Uh, yeah, shout out uh, Conor McGregor, uh, making it uh, worth the money. Definitely interesting, at least. He just got so tired, man. I know. He did. He was uh, but laboring, but uh, fuck it. You know, <laughs> yeah. He, he His uh, post-match interview was a lot of fun to listen to. He's just an entertaining guy. He's really uh, a fun fun athlete to follow. But we're not, we're not a sports podcast. You can uh, look up Dave's old sports podcast for that. What was it called? It's called Mercy Rule, but uh, our SoundCloud uh pro account has lapsed so there's only five episodes publicly available unless you oh no yeah there's only five left so you find the five most recent which are from last december wow well uh, (laughs) just give us a review on itunes instead yeah and what you should do is hit subscribe on youtube for nostalgia dave just created a super fire what was that promo video basically yeah youtube channel trailer yeah super dope a lot of our Favorite shows, movies, all have clips in there with a little uh, Young Pope uh, music nod. So definitely give that a a rating, review, share with friends, subscribe Uh, on YouTube. We need all the support we can get. Let's start, though, with something that kind of popped up out of nowhere this past week, Dave. Uh, It was announced that there might be a standalone Joker movie with Martin Scorsese attached to it. Yeah, really weird. Came out of nowhere. Uh, Scorsese would produce, which you know doesn't mean much. It's with Warner Brothers. That's kind of a relationship he has. But uh, Todd Phillips would direct Hangover, most recently War Dogs, and it would be set in the '80s, like New York, like a Scorsese vibe, like crime drama, right? And then alongside that, they announced that DC wants to launch like a like a sub brand of one off movies, similar to the Star Wars anthology films. And I mean, it, that's cool. That sounds fun. But it just seems kind of premature to plan all these spinoffs when we still have to get Justice League right. Like, let's make sure Man of Steel 2 is good. Right. And Ben Affleck stays on with the Batman. You know, I, they're, they're working and, like, a lot of other news came out. Like, uh, apparently the Justice League Dark script wasn't good enough, so they're sending it back. Great. Have high standards. Awesome mm-hmm. here. But also they're making a separate Joker movie with Harley Quinn, which we kind of already thought about. Apparently Jared Leto would stay on and be a Joker in that but a new Joker would be cast for this one-off movie. So a lot of moving parts going on at DC. Joss Whedon had some bad personal things come out about being like a misogynistic guy. We'll see if he sticks around for Batgirl. So a lot of DC news happened. And, uh, you know, we'll take the good with the bad, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's no chance Scorsese is actually going to really do much of this movie. It's more just to have his name attached to it. It's It'd be interesting to see how they do this because like Leto as the Joker got kind of mixed reviews in general from Suicide Squad. So then to not only do a movie with him and Harley Quinn, but then also do another movie with a different Joker, I feel like gets to be a little bit, I don't know if confusing is the right word, but a little bit muddled in a way. It's like get one Joker right before you're all of a sudden talking, you know, putting it on two uh, actors. And the other piece is that I feel like just doesn't make sense is we've been talking about how DC's needed wins for a while and they finally got a big win with Wonder Woman. So now it's like, okay, this is like more of our plan. Just make sure you keep getting 
these steps of your plan correct first, like you were saying. And then we can worry about making these little like artistic movies, like similar to Logan in a way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's not these things are like imminent, right? You know, like the movies we knew to have dates, like Wonder Woman two. That's being fast tracked, obviously. Aquaman comes out in the next year. Uh, the Flash, though, that's had some issues. Let's hope the Flash is good. You know, they're making a Suicide Squad too. Okay, uh, but you know, they got they got to figure some stuff out, sure. But it is cool to hear all these things are still being worked on. But you know, we'll find out more as things come out. Well, speaking of finding out more as things come out, last time we talked, we were talking about a Taylor Swift single was imminent, and we were correct. And last what was it Wednesday night? She dropped Thursday, Thursday, Thursday night. Taylor dropped her first single off her upcoming album, Reputation, which is slated to be dropped on November 10th. And the single's called Look What You Made Me Do. Dave, you're, sh- you're shaking your yeah. head. Give me your, your review of Taylor's newest single. Well, <laughs> before I give you the review, let, let me tell you that uh, it's a popular song. It's already up to 82 million views on YouTube. It broke the 24-hour streams record by a lot. 43.2 million streams in the first 24 hours, blowing away Adele's Hello by, you know, 15 million. Oh, Hello is such Nuts. a better song. I know. Yeah, this song is uh, objectively bad, both as a lead single because it's not catchy and also artistically because it's all of Taylor Swift's stereotypical pettiness, but way worse. That's It's not cute. It's not endearing. It's not fun to root for. And the song itself somehow takes the the hook from I'm Too Sexy <laughs> and makes it less fun. Like, what is there to like about this song at all? To be honest, I thought it was a, like a pretty good single up until the chorus. And then it hits that weird chorus. And then it goes into that phone call. And it's just so try hard. And I mean, right. for someone that... that obviously she's trying to go a little bit darker it seems like a little bit more self-aware a little more serious it just feels like she misses on so much and then she drops this weird music video which do you get a chance to watch this yeah. i mean oh, yeah. it's it's mad weird up until the end which i think is somewhat redeeming in terms of self-aware taylor making fun of you know past taylor swift personas but overall just a big swing and a miss and also all the the shots she's taking at kanye and kim just are really like distasteful in a lot of ways. Yeah, like A, we get it. Right. Glad you have nothing else in your mind. B, I think playing off all our past selves just makes her look more fake personally. Mm-hmm. But uh, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll give that a you know a net, a net neutral. The social media scrub, you're just ripping off Radiohead from last year. Uh, that's not original. Taking three days to uh, post snippets of a snake video because everyone called you a snake last year. Like, that's not self-aware. That's just... And, like, there's imagery from uh, Beyonce's formation video in her video. Like, I just fail to see any artistry out of this one single. Obviously, it's just the one single. Right. You have the whole album to come. But, oh, I don't I don't like your tilted stage. That's your that's your sick Kanye bird. <laughs> what? And, and that, that tilted stage is First of all, everyone thinks awesome. that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone thinks that's cool. Like, get the fuck out of here. But, like, like obviously, the song's killing it. It's, it's going to finally offset uh, Despacito as a number one song on billboard after a great run by uh them but it's not good no so definitely not. not good do you do you think taylor swift intentionally is dropping her album on the anniversary of kanye's mom's death you know what i think i think probably it's so I, I think she was i think somehow she found out about that maybe she didn't think of it herself but when she's like 
when she, I'm sure she knows by now, it's like she's moving off the date. And, you know, we kind of talked about throughout the year at, at Nostalgia Pod, SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, get it where you want. Just make Stay sure you get plugging. it. That this fall was a great window for Taylor Swift's pop domination. And the more I ran the numbers, it's actually like appalling how crazy this is. So Adele and Beyonce last year, high profile, we know that. Also last year, The weekend dropped an album. Bruno Mars, Lady Gaga, Ariana Grande, even Britney Spears and Megan Trainer. And earlier this year, you had Katy Perry. Apart from Selena Gomez, like there's nobody on the horizon in the pop sphere. She's going to dominate for at least a year with these songs. Pretty crazy. I mean, you have to imagine at some point Kanye's going to drop another album that he's been working on up in that mountain. But he's probably going to push it off a little bit, hearing what comes, whatever comes from Taylor, whatever kind of beef comes from this. He'll use that as inspiration, I imagine. Probably drop it sometime in spring, maybe early summer next year. Yeah, I can't really think of anyone that comes to mind that would be dropping a big pop album. Maybe like one of the Jonas Brothers, I imagine. Nick Nick Jonas, yeah, yeah. sure. Charlie Puth, I think, is supposed to be coming up. But like, still, like all the top A tier pop stars. Apart from Selena Gomez, they've all dropped recently. Demi Lovato, I guess, could come out, but still, Demi? nothing's going to challenge her. She's been everywhere, and she looks great, man. Loving Demi. Yeah, shout out the National Anthem. Yeah. Yeah, good for her. All right, well, why don't we move on from Taylor? On to some uh, album reviews. We you know, prefaced in a past pod how there was a lot of albums dropping in the next week or two, and <laughs> there were a lot. Where do you want to start, Dave? Well, let's just get a few out of the way. You know, As we said last week, a lot dropped primarily all on uh, last mm-hmm. Friday, right? And not all of them are good. You know, statistically speaking, that makes sense. Uh, let me just get XXS Tentacion out of the way. <laughs> Obviously, the troubled young XXL freshman uh, has his beef with Drake. We've talked about him here and there. Never been a fan of his music. SoundCloud rapper from Florida. And he dropped his debut album, 17, which is only like 20 minutes long. And it's just this emo pile of garbage. Hashtag sad boy. <laughs> It just totally fails to meet any of the hype, and he barely raps on it. Like, it's just this other guy, Little Peep, drops something that's really emo, too. And it, like, the hashtag sad boys, man, I just hope they don't, like, take over because this music sucks. I don't care how depressed you are, if you find it relatable, it's not good. Like, the production is acceptable. That's about the only thing I can say about it. So, don't listen to that. What about you? What did you, what did you like? (laughs) I think that that might be the harshest review you've ever given on Nostalgia Pod strong words coming from dave martinson let's see i mean i checked out this queens of the stone age album i've never been like a huge queens of the stone age fan but they've been a pretty consistent rock band almost similar to spoon in a way but they're just not as accessible mm-hmm. like they're they're much harder and more like maligned style i would say and uh from the 90s right 96 yeah they started yeah, around then. And they've been consistently putting out work. This album, though, was pretty accessible. And, you know, at times I heard uh, a sound that was similar to Arctic Monkeys. At time I heard them going a little bit harder, like Foo Fighters, like uh, early Foo Fighters, or like uh, even some like punk rock in there. They really tried to expand their horizons on this album, um, which I'm wondering if they're trying to become like more commercial, more fan-friendly in a way, or, or more popular. But uh, overall, I mean, it's a decent album. Nothing to write home about. You know, if you have a if you have a quick forty five minutes, just pop it on, give it a listen, <laughs> but nothing to write home about. Yeah, I heard the head like a haunted house song. That you know, it sounded yeah. sounded all right. You know, yeah, Fine. it's okay. The, the song is really long on it. They're all like five or six minutes long, which right. we've been talking about how shorter is better in this day and age. But 
you know, some rock bands still like to uh, push it out. Similar, look at this segue, to War on Drugs, an album I really enjoyed. A deeper understanding. This is their third album since 2011. They had one come out in 2015, I believe. And that album got a lot of buzz. This one, I would say similarly, just uh, well-made. The production is impeccable. The War on Drugs, they, they take in a lot of elements of explosions in the sky in terms of like uh, acoustic sound. Um, and with, mm-hmm. you know, they bring that electronic feel, but they do it in a way with where they bring in lyrics that are just really meaningful, really deep. It's very layered and complex, but like you, you could listen to this album seven or eight different times and hear something different. So I highly recommend War on Drugs. They're probably one of the most underrated bands out there right now. Well, that's a glowing review, I'd say. I saw they were definitely getting some buzz, which is uh, good to see for the rock scene. Yeah, those are the two big rock releases, right? The rest was mainly hip-hop, but uh, there also was Fifth Harmony, the pop quartet. Fourth Harmony. Yeah, Fourth Harmony, fresh off of VMA's performance where they pull a fifth member off stage at the start of their song because, you know, they're Fifth Harmony, but there's only four of them. Want to make sure you know that. They're not adding anyone. We get it. Uh, and the, and hence, the third album is the one that's self-titled. Like, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> it's short, but I honestly, I also have, like, a, a huge takedown on this album. What did you think before I go in? Well, okay, so what, the Camila, uh, Camila Cabello was the one that left in December? Correct. And her solo album comes out in middle September. And I don't know a lot of the context behind it. I mean, I'm assuming it's, you know, pretty normal you know, bands get popular, have differences of opinions. One goes one way, one goes the other. She was but, the most famous one, too. Okay. I don't know. It, it felt like they were trying to be very, like, self-aware in terms of how they approached having only four members on this, and it kind of fell flat in the way that, that they approached it. I also just felt like it was a very unmemorable album. There weren't really any singles that I, I could point to and say, wow, what a song. Yeah, exactly. So this is their third album in three years, which, you know, shout out, that's uh, pretty prolific. They got a lot of good songwriters working for them, obviously. They're working from home a lot. Yeah, but here's the thing. They haven't proven to be anything more than singles artists. And right. their lead single with Gucci Mane, Down, is way less interesting than Work It or Work From Home. And when not the single being a, the certified smash that they wanted, what else is there to this album? They're just way less interesting. And, you know, I, I've given, I, we've given artists a lot of crap recently for hopping on Migos songs and getting like those features. But Camille Cabello dropped two songs in August, one with Young Thug and one with Quavo. And yes, you're Quavo. Chasing, the, chasing the heat. But I also like those songs a lot more. Like they're just more interesting. So like this Fifth Harmony record, I just think is 30 minutes of generic pop love music but without your, there's no hit there. Honestly, the sales projections reflect that. It's only going to hit like 40,000, which is pretty bad for some, for people with, you know, top 10 hits. It's interesting to see these really super popular groups come apart and see how the individual artists move on from it. I mean, it's been something we've been aware of happening since, I mean, forever, really. You think about going back to like cream or like any super rock bands like that. But then most notably like Justin Timberlake leaving in sync or Beyonce leaving destiny's child, something like that. Yeah. But it seems like, you know, we had Zane left. Yeah, definitely. That's probably the singles. biggest one of recent note. Harry Styles started, you know, just left and made his own solo album. Well, yeah, now, now it's hiatus. They're all, they're all doing their solo thing. Right. 
So it's uh it's interesting to see this like cycle go through. It seems like uh, Camille's gonna definitely outshine the rest of the group. I, I can't even name it any other Fifth Harmony members. So yeah, the the one uh, her, Lauren something Lauren J. She's the one who had the song with uh, Halsey. Oh. Uh, that's the only reason I know her name. <laughs> gotcha. So what else do you listen to? You check out the Uzi Vert. Little Uzi Vert, which we didn't talk about him last week because he dropped this album announcement one day before that big Friday, which was already super packed. And despite one day's notice, he's on track to win the weekend with over 120,000 album sales, which is pretty nuts because Yachty only hit like 40. And they kind of have like a, like a friendly rivalry as like the two stars from 2016. And 21 Savage did really good. And now Uzi Vert's going to destroy. 120 is really impressive because this is effectively a retail mixtape. And if you listen to it, you can kind of see that because not like there's anything cohesive about it just a bunch of uh, oozy songs it's definitely a little too long but if you trim the fat then you like little oozy part i think there's some fun songs in there being someone who hasn't listened to a lot of oozy ver except for exo tour life three or exo tour life i guess not three the first like four songs i really was like oh man this album i don't know if i can (laughs) get through it and then it hit this groove in the middle with a couple of songs neon guts i thought was weird but then i really liked unfazed with the weekend I right. thought Pretty Miami was pretty good. X was okay. So I was like, all right. I started grooving a little bit. And then by when it ends with XO Tour Life, I was like, all right. Like this album, yeah. it, it definitely saved it. But it, it was long. It was a hard yeah. listen for someone who's not a big fan. Yeah, he, he's, he's a catch a vibe artist. And I think yeah. that I tweeted about this song. But uh, For Real, which is towards the top of the song, mm-hmm. uh, the first like 45 seconds of that, you get like Uzi switching up his flow doing like his ridiculous ad libs where he just ad libs the fuck out of like 10 seconds and then the bass line just drops in over the rest of the beat and yep. i can just see like the shoulder shimmy that he does when he performs and i'm like that's a song that he's going to open up sets to right and then neon guts i think has a great pharrell performance really reminds me of a uh, yeah. move that dope where he just spits mad fire over that future song <laughs> and yeah and the weekend really comes mm-hmm. to ball on unfazed as well and apart from that, I think four 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 plus two 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 I liked. So yeah, I mean, Uzi is a huge star. Ed Sheeran brought him out in the VMAs, and he has a very unique sound. It's not like he's lyrical at all. He's absolutely not. But Exotor Life is a mega song. It's my song of the first yeah. half of the year, and he's definitely a artist to watch, even if you don't totally vibe with his music. But will he ever make a like album that like has cohesiveness? I doubt it. I mean, we'll see, but. Either way, he's fun to watch. Did you watch the VMAs? Oh, hell no. That was when Game of Thrones was on. <laughs> All right. Yeah, basically what I gathered from it was the Taylor Swift video, Katy Perry was horrible, and mm-hmm. yeah, Uzi Vert came out with Ed Sheeran, and everybody's kind of like, how do these two yeah. fit together? Other than that, I didn't really hear anything. Uh, Cardi B had a nip slip. Oh, nice. Shout out her. <laughs> They're VMAs, fake boobs, man. so it's pretty big. Damn. VMAs have really fallen off. They used to be like appointment television, now it's... Yeah, I, I read all, I read all the recaps and Rob Harville on The Ringer, who's a pretty good writer. He writes about, about rock a lot, but he was like, the "VMA's problem is that the A-listers don't feel compelled to go anymore." Right. So, what are you? You're you're worthless because not mm-hmm. the awards mean anything. Yeah. Well, uh, moving on. What about that Action Bronson album? What was it called? Three Thousand. Blue Chip Seven Thousand. Blue Chip uh, Seven Thousand. Third and final record in his Blue Chip series. Blue Chips One, Two are two of his bigger mixtapes. But this is his third album, and it's also pretty short. It's about, you know, under 40 minutes, and it's it's just more action Bronson. You know, he's a rapper's rapper, more of an old-school 90s sound, 
and he's really funny. Uh, we've gone over that before, both as a person and both with his bars, the things he talks about. And yeah, I'd say check it out if you've ever had any interest in Action Bronson because it's just really solid music. I think Let Me Breathe, the lead single, is probably uh, one of the funnier songs. But overall, there's a, there's a good Rick Ross performance on there. Uh, so yeah, check that out. Blue Chip 7000. Interesting. Yeah, he's an interesting rapper, I feel like. like I've seen him live, I think, twice now. And each time, it's like a fun performance to be at, but I never walk away being like, oh yeah, Action Bronson, like he kills it. I feel like he's just like a fun performer. That's about it. Yeah, well, I think by his very nature, his rapping is more laid back because mm-hmm. of its, you know, old school feel. He's always been compared to a Ghostface Killer of Wu Tang. That's a good comparison. Yeah, for that reason, it's not he. He doesn't have like an exotore life, something that you know all the kids know all the words to. He's not that kind of artist. That's kind of why his his shine in like the you know commercial sphere is, is kind of I think peaked. But again, he's such a funny personality that he has a Viceland show. Yeah, his probably his most like well known song I would probably say is what Baby Blue, and that's because Chance just slays on that song. Yeah, definitely Baby Blue, uh, Easy Rider. He's 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 got yeah. some some good songs for sure. Any other albums that you checked out? Yeah, I also checked out the ASAP Mob second studio album, Cozy Tapes Volume Two, Too Cozy, and. It's the third ASAP project of the month after ASAP 12 and ASAP Ferg, two projects we've talked about. And unfortunately, this ASAP mod project is too long and has too many features. But I think that's kind of the point of this. Similar to the first Cozy Tapes, this is a project littered with multiple features. And you're just featuring, you know, all the ASAP mob and members and like their friends, right? So it's kind of them just hanging out. Again, it's not like it's like Uzi does. It's not there's much of a there's a cohesive vision or any message. It's just kind of them making all this music, but because of that, they're they're, high, they're they're showcasing the lower members of the ASAP Mob and they're bringing in all of these features. It kind of detracts from the music because I think Rocky and Ferg can really rise above everyone else, but because they're hanging out with you know like the lower the lower guys like ASAP Ant and ASAP Tywi, like it's just not as good. I mean, there's a few good songs on there. Frat Rules with Cardi and Big Sean, I really like. Please Shut Up with Gucci Mane's awesome. Perrier with Nast, Playboy Cardi, and Jaden Smith doing this really cool voiceover. Jaden Smith? Yep, Jaden Smith. What? He, he does like a really deep voice. He's not, he's not recognizable, but check that out. Huh. And then the best song is also the lead single, which is always a problem for us. But this song is great. It's called Wrath, Rocky, Cardi, Uzi, Quavo, and Frank Ocean. Frank Ocean rapping. That's quite the crew. Yeah. So it doesn't have a Lamborghini high. It doesn't have telephone calls, which are big smashes from the first Cozy Tapes. But overall, if you trim the fat, there's still some good stuff in there. Isn't Rocky supposed to have an album coming out soon? Yeah, he's been hinting that he wants to drop his next album by the end of the year, which would be his third album. Okay, cool. So that that'll um, be cool. Yeah, there's a lot of albums coming up at the end of the year. You know, we already touched on Taylor Swift, ASAP Rocky. Beck announced he's going to be dropping a new album called Colors coming out, mm-hmm. I believe, October. LCD Sound System will be next by this friday so <laughs> really wow. soon for the S- data recording <laughs> foo fighters saint vincent a lot of rock hoodie allen. Out. yeah hoodie allen all american first team bitch <laughs> so yeah that we'll have a lot more music to be talking about let's jump to thrones real quick though season seven finale the wolf and the dragon or the dragon and the wolf yep That's, dragon and the yeah, wolf there you go and man incest just when you think it's out they pull you back in nice pull <laughs> but it, i mean a lot of stuff happened it was a very like fan servicey episode i felt like i thought at least the first like what 35 minutes or so 
Well, yeah, because you had you had a lot of awesome reunions, people yeah. that hadn't been in the same room in multiple seasons, you know? Yeah. Uh, like Brienne and the Hound. Podrick and Tyrion. Yep. Uh, yeah, Brienne and the Hound. Bronn and Tyrion. The, the, the list goes on. So many people, you know, reuniting. Tyrion and having Cersei. quips. Uh, yeah, it's so many. And I think those are a lot of these cool moments, you know, nice to see. A little clunky. Yeah. It, it, like... I was talking with not friend of the show, he who will not be named, right. and basically like the way the hound approached uh, Mountain and what he said to him, just the way that they wrote that, you couldn't have been more clear in like what you're trying to say, because I was almost like, is he referring to Arya? I'm pretty sure he's referring to himself, but why would he say it like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I didn't find that confusing. I saw a lot of people were like trying to interpret that I was like oh i thought he said yeah you know what's coming for you yeah he meant himself I, th- I thought that was obvious i don't know i thought that was a little confusing but go yeah. on you were, I, I cut you off during one of your points by the conclusion of the episode i think it uh, it puts the end of the season in a good spot uh, as we've said the past few weeks with you know east watch and beyond the wall are probably two of the weaker episodes in uh game of thrones catalog given the Definitely. high bar that's been set for the the series by no means bad but weaker and while the journey has been sloppy i think overall the results are still satisfying namely Littlefinger. yeah i saw an article today i didn't i forgot to send it to you ellen Seppenwall posted it where the the actor that plays bran said that there was a scene that was filmed with sansa yeah with with sansa coming to bran basically saying hey like can you help me figure this out and bran basically shows her all the little finger stuff that's going on they figure it out mm-hmm. and it, it was probably maybe like a two minute scene i'd imagine and how do they take out a scene like that which i think explains a lot more adds a lot of context it lets brand actually do something and instead they they take that out but they leave theon getting kneed in the groin for like 30 seconds oh yeah so <laughs> I don't know. there's i'm not defending theon getting so much screen time but i think leave taking that scene out the brand sansa scene makes the uh the, it's more surprising plead lord baelish you know i yeah. I, I, I thought that was awesome it uh, was and awesome. then when when bran finally chimes in during the, the takedown of Littlefinger, i was like oh yeah finally bran dunked on someone you know because he knows everything you know he's seven foot five and has the handles mm-hmm. of steph curry like why don't you use your <laughs> skills right right but yeah i guess you know it, it can be a little confusing I mean, obviously, Sansa doesn't know all that stuff, nor would Arya. They weren't there for a lot of it. So it's clear that Bran told him that. So I can see both sides to it. I would almost say, like, maybe something that could have been done better. And this is obviously all with hindsight being twenty twenty. But if they had, you know, while Sansa's, like, explaining how she's a slow slow learner and they put all this together, like, if they had cut to, like, maybe, like, a, a scene while she's talking where oh. it shows her, like, coming to Bran, something like that, it would have yeah. been... A really good way to fill in and kind of satisfy both sides. Sure. I did think that was a really cool reveal, and and the uh, little finger like surprised eye eye look. It, like, yeah, one of my new favorite gifts of all time, maybe. Yeah, it's the surprised <laughs> uh, white guy meme from uh, very, Giant Bomb. Very appropriate that uh, the last words little finger says are Sansa, <laughs> and also we got we got a new little finger accent. It's like his seventh one. It was yeah. awesome. Peter, please. <laughs> <laughs> a memorable shade. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> so I, I think, you know, we had a predictions episode before the season started, which if you want to check that out, see what we got right, got got wrong, by all means. I thought a Contrast Nostalgia pod. Stay plugged. You know, 
And I think one of the things that a lot of people were really wrong on is that we thought Lannister threat would be absolved. Cersei Lannister probably would die. Jamie would either die or uh, join the hashtag good guys. But the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, I'm happy that I was wrong about that because Cersei Lannister, now that she has a baby, you know, has motivation again. She's just a more interesting threat than the existential ice zombies horde, you know, that's also also happens to be CGI. So I think the fact that we have dual threat and more, it's more murky for season eight, the final season, is good. Because if it was just, all right, good guys are here, Night King is there, they fight, how are you going to get six episodes out of them just battling? You know, I think there's more intrigue and more, it's more compelling that Cersei's still on the table and, you know, is still being an antagonist. I think that that's a really good point. I actually, you know, I, I go back and forth on it because I really just hate Cersei. And but at the same time, she's almost making the most sense out of everybody else. Like, even when, when Euron was like, all right, peace, I'm out of here, I'm going back. And I, we all thought he actually was just leaving. Or mm-hmm. at least I did in that moment. I was like, Oh, I did too. Of- I did. Yeah, I didn't see the twist coming. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, That makes a lot of sense. Like, I, if I was them and I just saw a zombie, I'd be like, I'm going home and I'm never going to let these zombies get right. to me. But Cersei acting the way she did is very in character. That's very Cersei. Oh, and I thought it was also quite, you know, quite believable. I mean, I think some people are saying, like, she would plan to have Euron leave and that's weird. I, like, I didn't think that was weird at all. I thought this made a lot of sense for how Cersei was and getting the great scene with Tyrion and then her scene with Jamie where I actually was like, wait, shit, is she really going to kill Jamie Lannister right now? Is this how, he, how he's going to go? Like, I got legit nervous, dude. So did I. I thought it was believable. So I really liked how all this was handled and now the Golden Company is in fact coming. I think Dario is going to be yep. a part of that, whether he's infiltrated them or actually just a member of them now and will become a bad guy. It's great. And the the part that is still kind of annoying to swallow is that the wall came down because of the dumb plan. Right. That's how they got, that's how the Night King got Viserion. So that is annoying, but whatever, you know, it's fine. Again, sloppy buildup, satisfying results for the season is my takeaway. Well, you know, something that the Ringer talked about is that you have these two huge powers. It's basically like Professor X and, God, I can't think of his name. Help me out. Magneto. Yeah, Magneto. Uh, you have like Magneto uh, north of the wall, and then you have Bran south of the wall right now. And neither of them got a lot of screen time. I mean, like the Night's King, you see basically that he has the skills of like Bruce Jenner circa 1970 with, with his javelin throw. You, you see that he's this crazy powerful guy. You already knew that. Bran, I mean, we know he can see everything. We know he has warging powers. He's like barely had any time to really shine with that. You need to give both of these characters significant time to build how powerful and meaningful they are to this war. So we definitely right. get more Night King backstory in season eight for any of this to really make sense. Because, right. Like, if it's basically just like, oh, he's this really powerful guy, and all this has just happened by chance, like, John did this stupid plan instead of the Night King knowing all this was going to happen and luring him there to get a dragon, that would be so much more satisfying than, oh, yeah, John's right. just really dumb, and it ended up with the, them getting a dragon. Right, and uh, absolutely, it's a fantastic point, and if, the, if that was not to be the case, and it just kind of ended really straightforward, criticism would be that the show was more intriguing when it was the squabbles of the houses, really political and stuff, you know, and I think that's, you know, a really unfair criticism to have, so... You don't want, and I don't think there will, but you don't want the showrunners to put 
the show's finale in a position to have people have that response. Right. And I think, you know, season seven kind of took people by surprise because it was the first time that the show made mistakes we weren't accustomed to show to make, you know, as a the genre bending show that it has been, not to mention the incredible ratings juggernaut. But, you know, again, the show is by no means bad. It's just it finally tripped. Yeah, and there were still things in the season finale that I felt were kind of not, not that great. Like the way Bran just spelled everything out about John, which I understand, like, there are a lot of people that don't deep dive into this show. There are people that just watch for the, the tits and dragons every week. Fair. So you do need to explain some of these things pretty bluntly. But then for him to be able to see everything and not know that John is also like a product of an actual marriage and not a bastard. Like, all right, that, that didn't really make a ton of sense to me. See, I, I envision as Bran, this might, you know, we don't, we don't know. I'm just, I interpret Bran's uh, three-eyed raven status as that he can see everything, He but he has to go there, right? He has to actually go see right. it. It's like reading so, a book. So it's like by chance, there's lots of stuff he still hasn't seen. Right. And then, then Sam just totally taking Gilly's fucking shine there. What a bastard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what, what a hashtag man. <laughs> white man. Mansplaining. And then uh, we also had Tyrion just uh, sitting outside the door listening to John and Danny make uh, the new heir to the throne. I don't think that's romantic at all. I think he's just wary of the political alliance getting personal. That's my take. I don't think Tyrion's actually invested personally like that. Uh, for, for some of the smartest Tyrion, I would imagine he would probably foresee that happening. He knew that John was in there. Yeah. That, again, I think it's up for interpretation and it'll come to a head, you know, really quickly. Yeah, it did come to, to yeah. a head. Yeah, the wheel was broken, if you will. <laughs> the White Wolf. Just some notes about this, the show as a whole before we wrap up 16.5 million people watched the finale live slash streamed it that night and that's up 19 percent from the season debut and 36 percent from the season finale last year which was one of the best you know episodes of the show's history the show averaged 31 million total viewers per episode which is fucking absurd (laughs) <laughs> which yeah. is up 34% from last season. And then finally, an estimated 90% of US HBO subscribers watch Game of Thrones. So the show is just an absolute force, which is Juggernaut. incredible. Now, you see this all over the internet because it's an easy piece to get clicks, right? When is Game of Thrones coming back? 2019, tell me more, right? So Mashable had a great uh, write about this. I can't take credit. So production is rumored to begin in October this year which is about two months later than production started last year hollywood reporter sources say that the shoot this for season eight the final season could last until next uh, this coming august the 10 month shoot and season seven was only a six month shoot so and they had five months of post-production time so they need a lot of time to render and process all this footage not to mention set aside time for the special effects of which of course was expected to be many it's six episodes but they're all expected to be more than an hour, but less than 90 minutes because that's when actors' salaries get prorated. Found that out. Uh, <laughs> can't, can't pay him too much now. <laughs> so so given this all this production time, the earliest we could see season eight would be January, February 20, 2019. 2019. But I don't think they would drop it in the middle of that, you know, that dead zone. The Young Pope came out there, shot the Young Pope, Big Little Lies. But Game of Thrones is not going to come out in the, in, in, you know, in winter. I know winter is uh, here, June. but they're not going to do that. But... 
they also don't want to wait forever, right? So I think June's too late. They'll probably go back to their traditional March-April window that they've been doing before. Basically, you know, dominate the spring. And probably the best time to do it would be Sunday, March 24th. I mean, the finale would air April 28th. Because this way, the show dominates that whole spring for six weeks. And then it ends right before Infinity War comes out and the summer blockbuster season starts. I think it's just perfect. It's a, it's a perfect window. To have no, nothing at all can uh, you know match with you because January February that, that's that they're not going to drop it there but they're also not going to wait forever they don't want to wait two years so this would be uh, one year and eight months if they dropped it at the end of March big wait hmm. that sounds like a pretty solid prediction it makes a lot of sense so we'll definitely I mean we'll, we'll people will be blowing up Game of Thrones news until we get to season eight we'll be hearing a lot about it quick before we end MVP of the season for you. Ooh, good one. Night King <laughs> is close. Uh, I want to say John, even though yeah. he had a big fuck up. I still want to say John. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was it was confirmed that he's the heir to Iron Throne. He finally got south of the the wall with Danny. I mean, yeah, he did a lot of good stuff. He he went back and forth like a hundred times a season. Covered a lot of miles really get, quickly. Get those uh, frequent flyer miles. Must be really <laughs> good. Also, one last thing about John. Why the fuck is he named Aegon? His older dead brother was Aegon too. That's stupid. It's it's weird. Stupid. Targaryens uh, are weird, weird, but that's still kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they could have gone with was Jaharius. Jaharius, yeah. Jaharis. The name of two Targaryen kings. Yeah. The least valuable player of the season. In terms of impact, like, but he actually did stuff. Probably Tyrion. But overall, it's probably Varys because he did fucking nothing. <laughs> I was gonna say where that, where was Varys? It might actually be Wolf, because Wolf, I mean, anytime they could have used Wolf, they were like, nah, we don't want to don't want to spend on that CGI. We got oh, uh, to make these dragons. Ghost? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, Ghost, uh, no, no time for you. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we have to wrap up there. We're going to be talking fall movie preview next week, so tune in T- for that. TV preview. TV preview, ah, oh, Jesus. Yeah, uh, we'll do a movie preview at some other point. Oscar movies. Yeah. Hell yeah. But until next week. Dave Martinson, Pat Sheehan, at Martin Swagger, at Sheehan World Peace, at Nostalgia Pod, SoundCloud.com, YouTube, Stitcher, Google Play. Find us everywhere. Not on Spotify. <laughs> but if you want exactly. to listen to Taylor Swift's new song, you can find that on Spotify. It's not good. Don't though. listen to it. All right. We're going to uh, we'll be back next week. Have a good week. See you then.